the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Well, Abigail, it's wonderful to be back together in studio with you, and we have a very special guest that we'd like to introduce. We absolutely do, and all of our listeners and parents out there especially, I I am barely staying in my seat. I hope you all realize that. Um, We have the privilege of having on with us Dr. Nicholas Carteras. He is an Ivy-educated psychologist. He is an internationally renowned speaker and one of the country's foremost addiction experts, and he specializes in screen addiction. So over the next few weeks, we will be chatting with him about social media, its use both at home and classrooms, its effect on children's brains, video games, um, ADHD, all the things that if you have young, you know, kids under the age of 18, as a parent, you are wrestling with how do I navigate this rapidly changing world. He, um, Dr. Carteras also runs several treatment facilities um, in Maui, in New York, in Austin, Texas. So he's a very busy gentleman. And he's also written several books, Glow Kids and Digital Madness. So we are... Mm. And so we are so thankful to have him with us. Dr. Carteras, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the work that you're both doing as well. Yes, thank you so much. We're glad to have you on. So, um, Dr. K, as you said that we can so affectionately refer to you as, um, why don't you tell us a little bit, first of all, for our listeners about your background and really how you got interested in this topic in particular? Well, um, yeah, I've been a psychologist that's primarily worked with young adults over the last uh, 20, almost 25 years now, and uh, well, my personal background, I'm of uh, Greek descent. I'm uh, the son of Greek immigrants who emigrated to New York in a very traditional Christian Greek Orthodox uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. And um, so those values sort of informed me growing up. Mm-hmm. And um, I did have my own struggles as a young person in full transparency. You know, when I got out of uh, university as a young man, I, uh, I, I, I had some struggles uh, of an addictive nature, and I had a really um, work through and better understand those. And it was really my my 
journey through that process that led me to go back to graduate school and get my PhD in psychology and to specialize in working with young people who are struggling in, with a variety of struggles, whether it's hmm. mental health or addictive disorders or existential crises. You know, we're, we're having so many young people that are having premature existential crises. What does right. it all mean? Uh, of a crisis of conscience or a crisis of, of values. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was doing a lot of, I was teaching as a professor at Stony Brook Medicine, and I was uh, doing a lot of school district contract work. 15 years ago, and I started seeing, I, I was one of the first, I, I guess I was one of the first psychologists that really started seeing this strange new impact that the digital, our love affair with digital technology was having on our collective mental health, but disproportionately with young people, mm-hmm. um, middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, high schoolers, and, and young adults. And and I was, the first thing that I noticed was, yeah, these young kids were getting addicted to their devices. And so I wrote my first book, uh, Glow Kids, where I really wanted to compile all the research and data. And there were over 200 peer-reviewed studies that looked at not only how addicting uh, our shiny new devices can be and how they actually change the neurophysiology of our brains in the same way that substance addiction does, but also um, how they were impacting things like the spike in ADHD and anxiety disorders and depression and, and how they were correlating with the suicide rates that have been going up. And um, and that's really led to me writing my, my most recent book where really looked at um, now that it's been clearly understood, because, well, let me back up. When I wrote Glow Kids uh, in 2016, now seven years ago, and I wrote an, uh, an op-ed in the New York Post called Digital Heroin, uh, which mm-hmm. at that time seemed like a, a shocking concept to a lot of people that devices can be habit-forming. And now mm-hmm. that question's been asked and answered, and now it's an official diagnosis by the World Health Organization. But originally that op-ed in my first book got me on Good Morning America and on a lot of national news media to really defend the thesis that devices can be habit-forming. And, yeah. and, and now we have the tech, the big tech insiders themselves who are saying, oh, yeah, these We've made them addicting by design. This is no, (laughs) no, exactly. (laughs) But now, what what is the fallout of that? And so, when we, when you started looking, when I started looking at some of the mental health metrics, and you start looking at primarily depression, anxiety, suicide, ADHD, you you start seeing certain patterns, and you start seeing that uh, by generational cohort, the older generational cohorts, for for example, um, if you start going up the ladder to baby boomers down to Gen Xers, down to millennials, down to Gen Z, the younger the cohort, the more psychiatrically unwell they are, the mm-hmm. worse the psychiatric stats are. Mm-hmm. And, and and the more and that also correlates with how digitally connected they are. So it seemed to be that the more plugged in uh, a, a generation was, the worse their psychiatric metrics, which were counter to the Kool-Aid that we were sold that, oh, social media was going to be this wonderful elixir for our species and was going to be the great connector and, mm-hmm. and digital devices were going to be the panacea. And then uh, what we were finding out pre-pandemic in 2019 was we had record levels of suicide. We had over 42,000 suicides, over 70,000 overdoses. We had record levels of depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic essentially served as a confirmation or a beta test mm-hmm. of of my hypothesis that screen time is an accelerant or a 
a confounding factor to all these psychiatric issues because during the pandemic and quarantines and isolation and an increased dependence on screen time with Zoom schooling and all that nonsense, uh, screen time doubled and depression tripled. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that led me to, you know, uh, essentially try to raise as much awareness as I could for those of us who were the adults in the room who seemed to be drunk. We were like sort of drunken sailors, drunken with the um, amazing technical innovation of our devices. And, you know, mm-hmm. giving the devil their due, these are amazing technological innovations. And I think the grown-ups were so smitten by their iPhones and by their own technology that they weren't realizing quite how much damage they were doing to our youngest and most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Such a good, such a good summary. Um, that's really helpful to hear kind of the trans, the transitions that you made from being a college student post grad and struggling with some addiction. And then really you could speak from a personal experience too of what leads to addiction. And then that's what you studied. Sure. Um, and yep. then you brought about this whole notion of, um, saying this is really damaging to our kids and you compared it to heroin you mentioned in your mm-hmm. um in your op-ed and mm-hmm. actually i am actually wondering because i did a show many years ago before abigail was my um, co-host on the damage of technology to the human brain and i did quote from an article i'm thinking i wonder if it was you thinking way back <laughs> uh, because it was somebody who compared it to it was it was more addictive than heroin is what um, this article was stating about social media, but it was mm-hmm. it was actually more about video games at the time. Yeah, it was talking yeah. about kids, and I know we're going to save that for the second show. But um, you know, I'm so glad that you are really raising and sounding the alarm. This is very important, and so we'd kind of love yeah. to walk our listeners through um, what is the difference as uh, you know with, between using technology like television. You, you kind of talk mm-hmm. about that in your lectures and in your uh, books mm-hmm. um, and that really trying to raise awareness that television, while not great, n- no one's going to say that mm-hmm. that's, that's lovely, um, it is a, that screens that are interactive are a whole different deal. Right. And, it, and could you go through really the physiology with us of what, what that technology does to a developing brain? Yeah. Yeah, and thank you for asking that important question, because I think at at the crux of the societal problem is that's sort of it. There's been a conflation of television with modern interactive screens by the adults in the room. Mm-hmm. So those of us who were raised with television, I think our mistake was that we said, oh, these are just smaller, more portable television sets. Yes, while television may not be ideal, and you know, if you'll remember back in the 70s and 80s, they, you know, the average high school student will have witnessed 17,000 murders by the time mm-hmm. they uh, graduate from high school on, you know, TV cop shows. Mm-hmm. But watching uh, Starsky and Hutch uh, back in the 70s was very different than, for example, playing Grand Theft Auto. Um, even though mm-hmm. you could say, well, there's violence in both medium, uh, the, 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 and again, that conflation was what allowed, I think, the adults to allow the digital fox into the chicken coop because we thought it was less damaging than it was. And, and so first and foremost, the immersive and interactive nature of the new medium is, is, is the big, is the most important aspect that makes it more what we would call psychodynamic impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, if when I was watching television back in the 70s, I was a passive viewer of a visual 
phenomenon. So the television usually was a few feet away in the living room. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm watching an event unfolding. The modern screen experience is immersive and interactive. And so that, that does a couple of different things. Not only does it, does it create more of an impact, but it also makes the experience more dopaminergic. In other words, more dopamine activating mm-hmm. and more adrenalergic. It's a more arousing experience because uh, you know, any, any gamer can tell you that when they're in their game, they're not just watching an experience. They're immersed. It's an immersive experience. So that, that does a few things. It, it not only can it be reality blurring, but it also is, as I said, dopamine activating, which is the main neurotransmitter, which is the ingredient for addiction. So mm-hmm. uh, we talk about the dopamine reward loop. So these highly arousing experiences, which spike dopamine, create uh, not only a, a potential dependence and the need for that dopamine rush, but it's also de- developmentally damaging. Now, this part has also been under, usually under discussed, underestimated and not discussed often enough. Um, Kids need, you know, the ADHD spike that we've seen, where we've seen ADHD rates more than double over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, Attention, like language, is a developmental window, and children, usually between the ages of 18 months and 6 years old, are developing not only their language skills, and and we know that if a child doesn't acquire language during the key developmental window, they're lifelong compromised with language acquisition, like feral children Mm -hmm. who were never exposed to language you know, we, we have all sorts of case studies of children who were discovered in the wild and they were 13 or 14. Um, they're able to learn some basic language, but never higher language functions or metaphor or idiomatic language. So that part of their brain, that window has closed because that developmental window was, was not open indefinitely. Similarly, attention and children's ability to uh, be able to attend and to focus, um, it's a developmental window, which is best nurtured by letting kids use their active imagination and building with blocks and and creative play, those things build neurosynaptic pathways of both creativity and attention. But what's happened now is we're putting two-year-old, 18-month-olds, three-year-olds, we're dropping them in front of a visually hyper-arousing screen experience. They, They don't have to develop any of their neurosynaptic muscles to create their own visual imagery. And now they're getting overly stimulated to the point where they become dependent on overstimulation. And so now that child is now stimulation dependent. And so a lot of parents who think that their kids don't have ADHD because my child is wonderfully focused when they're in front of the computer. Well, of course they are because that computer is mesmerizing them. But when you shut down the computer, they start bouncing off the walls, mm-hmm. and now you've primed them for a lifelong profile of attentional deficits and attentional disorders. Because and and Dr. Christakis was the um, the pediatrician who did all the ADHD research with screens uh, at the University of Washington, and clearly showed an ADHD effect with televisions back in the 90s. But now the effect was exponentially uh, amplified with immersive screens. The ADHD effect was significant. So when you prime a child or an infant for attentional problems, ADHD is now the handmaiden of a lot of other disorders. High impulsivity also correlates with other not wonderful outcomes as kids get older. Uh, Impulsivity is also the cousin of addictive disorders and behavioral challenges. So we're making our kids highly impulsive because we're overly stimulating them in the crib in early uh, mm-hmm. schooling and and um, 
And and as they get older, that dependence also leads to isolation and depression and other things as well. So, and is that is that yeah, impulsivity? I'm sorry to be so depressing, by the way, I'm sorry to be so depressing. No, no, oh, no, we have to expose the truth here. And it, is that impulsivity? Is that due to the impact of the development of the prefrontal cortex on right, a child's right. brain? Um, you right. so, you do chat right. about that. Could we chat about that and the myelin sheaths? Um, I just yeah. I found it fascinating, and all of our listeners just hold on. This is, I know it's a little bit of biology here and neuro um, terms, but it's is really important. Yeah. We need to pull our heads out of the sand here and realize there are very yeah. real physical things that are occurring when we're zone when we are zoning out on our phones, but more importantly, when our children are zoning out on those tablets. Yeah, so those neurophysiological impacts that you talk about, I think those were probably the main thing that a lot of folks were shocked to see, because I think people were shocked to see that something that you don't ingest, right? I think people were able to comprehend that if you ingest a substance, it's going to have some neurophysiological, it could change your brain chemistry and your brain physiology, more than your chemistry, your brain physiology. And what we, but what at least a dozen fMRI studies started showing was mm-hmm. that the changes in the brain began to exactly mirror the changes that happen in chronic substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and you the, so there are two. It's the myelin sheath and the prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is that part of our brain right over, right behind our forehead. It's the executive functioning part of our brain. It's the decision-making part of our brain. It's the... Uh, if then part of our brain that allows us to consequentially think it controls our impulsivity it's it's really the most critical part it's really the the main decision making part of an individual and what they found so the one impact that they found which really mirrored substance abuse is a shrinkage of the prefrontal cortex of, of specifically of something called the dgm the dense gray matter so you want a healthy, robust prefrontal cortex, and, and some of your listeners may know, that doesn't really fully develop until we're in our mid-20s, which right. is why 18-year-olds still do stupid things, and they do, they're mu- you're much more likely mm-hmm. to be a risk-taker. You know, you'll ride a bicycle without a helmet, and you'll jump off you know, with bungee cords when you're 18 to 19, but by the time you're about 26 or 27, you're, people tend to get more cautious, <laughs> and that's because your prefrontal cortex starts saying, oh, wait a second, that may not be a good idea. Mm-hmm. Another way that people call the prefrontal cortex is they, they also call it the braking system of our, you know, if our, if our, um, if our primal, if our lizard brain is, our, is, our, is stepping on the gas, the prefrontal cortex is the brakes. It's mm-hmm. pumping the brakes, and our brakes don't fully develop till our mid-20s, mm-hmm. but screen time and chronic substance abuse compromises our braking system. Mm-hmm. It makes it not, uh, as I said, it shrinks it, actually, mm-hmm. to the point that it's, uh, you know, your impulsivity spikes and all those other issues. The other uh, brain impact is the myelin sheath. It's also called the white matter. And the myelin sheath, is, you can visualize it as sort of the insulation cable that lines our neurons and our, the connectivity of our brain. So the wiring between our neurons, the way that our brains can communicate is through the, the myelin network. It's a white lipid. Uh, it's a fatty lipid. And, and a healthy, robust myelin, myelin sheath means your brain is communicating within itself uh, optimally. Hmm. Um, but there are things that disrupt. My, my, the myelin sheath is very fragile, and it can get compromised. So white myelin sheath abnormalities, where you, the myelin lipid begins to break down, um, 
disorders like that or brain disorders like dementia and Alzheimer's are myelin sheath disorders where the brain uh, myelin network begins to break down. Well, we also see the, that similar type of damage happen with chronic drug addiction and once again with screen time where you start seeing microstructural abnormalities in the myelin sheath from excessive screen time. So these were clear brain imaging studies that were done by everywhere from Indiana University Medical School to um, medical schools in China that were showing your brain is being changed and the developing brain is even more vulnerable to some of these impacts because it's still developing for the obvious reasons. So significant. These are significant issues. You know, in one of the articles that I read, you know, years ago that was related to this topic, they said, um, the psychologist said, I am actually seeing that children are about two years behind cognitively from where they used to be. Would you agree with that statement? It's related to this topic, yeah, it seems. Yeah, yeah. You know, so as a clinician, my, my wife is a, was a teacher for 20 years at the elementary level. She, and I was a professor at the university level. So I started, well, so let me back up. A, some neurologists started using the phrase uh, digital dementia. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it one. started looking, I started seeing clients who were coming to me for treatment for screen issues, and and a lot of these issues were comorbid, meaning depression was going hand-in-hand with being in front of your computer for 12 hours a day. Um, But there was almost like a catatonia. There was almost like a dementia, like a blank stare that was happening. And I started seeing, oh, my God, what's happening to these young people? They seem entirely um, um, developmentally stunted, I guess is the lack of Mm the best way I could put it. And my wife stopped teaching about four or five years ago but she was. She would come home every day and say her elementary school kids were different. Yep. They were just not as cognitively sharp. They were mm-hmm. not as creative. They were more um, blank staring, I guess, mm-hmm. blank staring. And again, if you would visualize somebody who's overly stimulated, um, that's what they're going to look like when they're not under the throes of their stimulation. It's mm-hmm. almost like when somebody's um, crashing from, you know, if you drink eight cups of coffee and you're wired on caffeine, and then you crash, you're going to be a little bit sluggish and sedated. And that's kind of what our kids are like when they're not in front of their screens. There's a, there's a cognitive uh, piece. And by the way, there was a study in uh, 2019, uh, the Journal of American Medical Association uh, Pediatrics. They very clearly had a study that looked at uh, screen time and children that were two and under, and it showed cognitive, uh, the parts of the brain that were related to language and cognition, mm-hmm were getting impaired. Mm-hmm. So so there was mm-hmm. clear brain imaging research that was tying into what we were seeing experientially and behaviorally. Mm. It's so depressing. And, you know, I, we only have just over well, about five minutes left here. And I do want to have the chance to talk with you about how it impacts memory. But um, I also just want to ask you, do you feel like the medical community is waking up about this? Like, why aren't we seeing alarms sounding? I mean, these are really serious. This is basically like saying you're putting your child on drugs or alcohol if you're putting them in front of screen time for long periods of time. Yeah. And we, we should talk yeah. about, you know, kind of what is an, what is a safe amount. But um, why don't you think there's more of an alarm that's sounding when the data is there? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, there we were definitely slow. The medical community was definitely slow to awaken, and uh, definitely slow to the dance. Um, in my more cynical moments, I think it's uh, you know 
follow the money. Yeah. You know, yes. the big tech lobby has a strong resource. You know, for the American Academy of Pediatrics, we're recommending you know, no more than two hours. And we know that two hours at the, at, for a two-year-old is, is, is too two much. hours too many. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's, there should be no screen time. You know, under I mean, two years and under, there should be absolutely no screen time, and that's pretty yes. clear. And um, and so they're, they're they're beginning to wake up and the, and the men some of the recommendations and uh, the Surgeon General Vivek, you know, he's 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 raised the alarm a couple of weeks ago about social media. And mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a wake up call, but way too little and too late. And so you do have to question e- either financial agendas with mm-hmm. very strong lobby groups that are uh, you know quite honestly fund some of their these entities and and I know even in the therapy community I've had you know you know I, I get reached out to by thousands of parents and they go to therapists or, or pediatricians who are who are not bought out or they don't have a financial agenda they're just profoundly under aware of the problem they haven't taken the time and the energy to look at the research and again they're doing what I said earlier they're thinking okay this is just kind of like TV a TV set I had a very prominent uh, I had a pretty well known uh, actress who came to me because she was struggling with her uh, 14 year old and she lived in Los Angeles and she had been to 13 psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists. And her son was way past the tipping point, had been violent with gaming and, and really mm. his life was really getting destroyed. And she called them the 13 midgets. Um, they either minimized the problem. They either gaslit her. They made her feel that she was the problem they said, let the boy game. This is nothing oh my to worry about. Goodness. Um, and she said, but he's assaulted me twice. But he's, he's now stopped. He was engaged in sports and music and everything has stopped. And now he's not even able to leave the house. And oh, no, no, no. So, so she just felt it was just uh, a lack wow. of awareness. Yeah. Um, and so I do a lot of training with therapists. I've done a lot of speaking at uh, education conferences and mental health conferences. And, and there is, there, I think they're finally beginning to wake up. And maybe one of the more important things was there's been big tech defectors. And so when you have a yes. documentary like The Social Dilemma, yep. and then they they themselves are having a crisis of conscience and they're saying, mm-hmm. uh, guess what? Uh, we did. You got us. We did this on purpose. We we knew that this was damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, the Facebook whistleblower, Facebook, yes, Francis yes. Hogan. Uh-huh, oh, way. yeah. We had our own research that was showing that this was increasing suicidality and adolescent girls and we chose to not change the algorithm to make yeah. it less predatory you know yeah. so oh, it's, it's just heartbreaking isn't it so for all of our parents okay. listening i mean the whole goal of our show is you know you get to decide parents you get to decide how you raise your children you get to decide how to structure and your, their days and what's important to you as a family but don't be deceived take your head up out of the sand and 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 be realistic. We're, we're Dr. Carderis is an amazing expert with um, so much experience, and we want you to have the facts so that then you can make the choice for your family. But make it based on facts and data, not just an assumption that these devices are innocuous. Mm-hmm. That's right. But, and one of the challenges with parents and families is, you know, I've worked with some wonderful families that were trying to be tech cautious, but then the school. Uh, had drank the digital Kool-Aid and the school was giving the Chromebook to the right. first grader, the third grader. Yeah. And, and when I've gone to education conferences, and I love that you said, lean on the studies and the, the statistics. So we had these school districts that were in a sort of a, a digital arms race, where if school district X had Chromebooks in sixth grade and school district Y had to have them in third grade, because 
school superintendents were trying to outcompete each other in terms of how much tech they were getting and how early they were giving it to their kids, which is the the worst thing you want to do is uh, age inappropriate technology. Because right. I'm not anti-technology, but it has to be age appropriate, just in the same way that we love our automobiles, but we don't give our seven-year-olds the car keys. Correct. Um, this but, is so one of the universities. things that I love to, and you know, we are literally out of time here, Dr. K. So we're going to, we're going to continue this conversation in our next episode. But, um, you are absolutely right that we do not give children, uh, car keys. We don't give them guns. We can't let them play in the military. And yet somehow, and we don't give them alcohol. Um, somehow right. we're willing to give them these tech devices that are changing their brains. So thank you so much for joining us tonight and listen to this podcast and other podcasts at Save the Classroom. Room.com, and we will see you again next week where we'll be enjoy- inviting Dr. K back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.